Welcome to today's episode of On the Rocks. For this episode, I'm very excited to have Steve DeYoung join me. Steve is the CEO and co-founder of Verify, a technology platform on a mission to build a more transparent mining investment ecosystem. Verify's communication and meeting tools include powerful interactive 3D and 360-degree presentations used by a global community of investors and mining companies to facilitate better investment decisions. Prior to Verify, Steve was the CEO of Integra Gold, a Quebec-focused resource exploration company where he developed and used an app that integrated a virtual asset tour directly into the investor pitch. He led Integra from a $10 million valuation in 2012 to a $590 million acquisition in 2017. On today's episode, we discuss the importance of changing how mining companies share the story of their projects. We talk about the difference between data dumping transparency versus accessibility, and we chat about why is it so different raising money for tech companies versus mining companies. I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you do, please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review. Pour a glass of your favorite beverage, whatever that may be, and let's jump in. All right, Steve, welcome to On the Rocks. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I am really intrigued to ask you what you're drinking today because I got a little bit of a sneak preview. So tell us what you're drinking. Well, seeing as it's 10 o'clock in the morning, it's very tempting to go have a drink. But I thought, being on the West Coast of Canada, we are all hippies. I thought I would uh, drink (laughs) some water kefir, some homemade water kefir. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like the cousin of kombucha, I guess. So every night, we, my wife and I, one of us, whoever's on duty, we take a liter of water. You have to boil the water, add a quarter cup of sugar, and then you have to dump it into this thing. And it's, mm-hmm. and then the next night, what you do is you put it into a bottle like this, okay, uh, a wine bottle. You add a little oh, bit of looks like. Wine. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna have a, a pint of wine. Uh, but you take this, you put it into a wine bottle, you add a little bit of fruit juice, and then you let it sit out for a night, and it carbonates, and then turns into this stuff called water kefir. Mm. It's like a fizzy. Looks know, supposed to be good for your gut or something. It's really good. And there's, there's, if you can see the bottom, there's these grain things. So then you rinse them off, throw some out because if there's too many, they grow. I don't know. Some people talk to them. Uh, <laughs> and you, you, add, you have to do it every night, though, because then I, I don't know what happens. It'll probably crawl out of the jar or something. So you have yeah. to go through it every night. So we have a fridge full of these, but that, we have three little kids and they love it. It's like healthy pop in some ways. Well, that's cool. And, it, and the carbonation happens like naturally that you don't have to add sign to stream thing. Yeah. And that's so this is this is water kefir. So this is what we're and you know what? You could probably add some vodka or something to it, too. Okay. <laughs> What time the, the gut health benefit though yeah well yeah. I, I i appreciate that education because i was telling you i live in south florida and i i feel like i'm like the least health conscious of all my friends so i am going to impress them next time talking about water keeper while i sit here and i am doing the opposite and drinking a red bull because yeah it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. yeah the, cool. the annoying is it kind of is like a pet because if you go away for the weekend oh. and then come back didn't do it for three days it's it's kind of like just not feeding your cat or your dog or something just Does leaving it them no it like, grows oh okay, yeah i guess it's not really like a pet in that sense so it then you have to throw a bunch out and yeah anyway, 
kind of like yeast uh, back during COVID when it first started, right? And everyone was growing their own yeast oh, no. all of a sudden, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I didn't know I, I didn't know that was a thing until COVID, and all of a sudden everyone's talking about how old and yeah. and the oldest sourdough is. What do they call it? It's not a baby. It's it's a I can't yeah, remember. The oldest one is like two hundred years old. Yeah, there's like a weird there. Yeah. Is a, something starter, right? But there's a different word for it. Yeah. And you See? feed it. It's yeah. And some people have dogs. There you go. Or kids. Yeah. yeah. I just try to keep my kid alive, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> try not Which to feed her and she's hard. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know keeping kids. I didn't know it was so hard. <laughs> it's like amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we are we are stereotype busting here because, again, maybe the wider world does not expect people in the mining industry to be drinking things like Waterkeeper. I think they they really do think we drink scotch like all day, every day, perhaps, or coffee, which kind of, yeah. I guess I play into that stereotype a little bit. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think it's so interesting, like what you do at VRFI, because, again, you're changing stereotypes about how mining companies, exploration companies should communicate or do communicate. I mean, it's like what you guys do, I think is pretty revolutionary in getting people to tell stories about what they're doing at their projects. Yeah, it, it is. You kind of, I sort of stumbled into mining. It was a, I, I didn't go, wasn't in love with rocks as a kid, geology. Mm -hmm. It was a friend of my, my dad actually, who just happened to be run a bunch of companies. So I came in as, as, I didn't grow up in sort of a geological setting or mining world or anything else. And it's, it's really interesting in, in sort of in my own experience in the mining sector is to your, to your point, it's all about the stories behind it. Like the, the whole mining sector, you have like your PowerPoints and your websites and all these things, but the real sort of the kind of heartbeat of the sector is almost the stories that are, that are told behind it. And it's as, as verify the company I run is it, as it's kind of evolved it started to be just taking interactive data rich presentations and putting them in a format that people could use, which mm -hmm. was cool. But now it's really actually listening to the executives and, and not just the CEOs and the IR people, but like the sustainability people and the COOs and everyone tell their stories now that they have this tool to tell them. And it's, yeah. it's actually completely, I, I have this, this hope that it will start to change how the whole world sees the sector because we've kind of finally taken the handcuffs off that like, here's my PowerPoint slide that I need to speak to, to communicate why everything we do in mining is so cool. And now we have kind of fully interactive, immersive tools that sort of allow us to tell some of those stories. And how do you think it got to that point where everyone was just kind of stuck in the same pattern of talking about mining projects? I don't think it's a mining thing. Like I think people talk about how sort of antiquated and archaic and, and what dinosaurs are in the mining sector. I, to be honest, I think it's every sector. I think you kind of mm -hmm. like PowerPoint is and not to attack PowerPoint. It's a really powerful tool, but at the same time, it becomes this crutch that we all sort of end up putting our discussions and decisions through this sort of PowerPoint gate, which really restricts yeah. what, what happens if you think of sort of every conversation, not just in the mining sector, but in any sector is a game of telephone. And sort of, you have this this medium in that's two dimensional and kind of all you can do is put bullet points and graphics in. What what ultimately happens is it's a story killer. Whereas yeah. if we take those sort of restrictions away, then all of a sudden you naturally are able to sell a much, tell a much richer, fuller story. So I don't know if anything specifically happened in the mining sector that inhibited its ability to tell the story. I think it's sort of 
they're just new tools now. And every sector is kind of going through this process. For some, it's like TikTok is the way that they communicate now. Um, yeah. For others, it's different platforms. For us, hopefully, if, if we're successful, it's going to be tools like Verify and, and kind of using those with things like Prospector Portal and, and other things like that, that just allow investors and stakeholders and community groups and the whole world to understand that sort of mining, maybe it's not evil. Maybe we actually do. do we, maybe we actually do need some of these things, and and some of these companies just need the opportunity to kind of tell their stories. I think one unique part of the industry, though, and in, in geology in particular, is how tied it is to place, right, and a sense of place and the story around that, right. And I think that's what's so powerful when you look at a project in like a geospatial environment or connected to a map or verify, right, where you you put the person in the place of the project and they can see what infrastructure is around them, what towns and communities are they nearby. And like, how does that correlate with how a project's going to develop? I mean, back in, back in the day, like I remember sending presentations to potential investors about a project where I literally, literally like went on Google Earth and like videotaped the way you would drive to the project from the airport, you know, like when you could do the little, you know, little driving tours, because it just yeah. it puts people there, right? And for some reason with mining and geology, I think it just makes more sense to people when they can kind of put themselves in, in the spot, in the deposit. Yeah, and it's I think it really elevates the conversation. So you're way ahead of your time in, in, in doing that. Um, but if you can, I think it elevates the conversation in the way that every conversation in say mining or or anything, every audience or participant in that conversation is looking for something different. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about your project to a geologist or maybe to somebody in the community who who works in social media and does nothing to do with mining to the, a corporate development team at a big mining company, that same project, every person you're speaking to is looking for a very different thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it just, it, by creating that, that sort of almost immersive experience and, and to your point, bringing people to the project, it sets them up to ask the right questions and kind of gives them the ability. And then what, what ultimately happens in that conversation is it can go wherever it needs to go versus, mm-hmm. Hey, I prepared 12 slides and I've, your answer to your question is on slide 11. I'll get there after these other ones, or maybe it's just not in here at all. And I just won't ask you, I'll just keep plowing through my kind of narrative that I've decided is going to be what we're going to take through this conversation, um, mm. help carry this conversation. And I think that's one of the more exciting parts about some of these new tools we're seeing. And I think Verify is going to play its role in that too. It's just, it, it opens up very different discussions and it's not even the fact that we've avoided these discussions. It's the fact that we just haven't put ourselves in a position to have them like the one, one example I use and I'll use a visual here to show is, is um, can you see that 3d model there? Yeah. Yep. So on this one here, this is an actual one from uh, a project in the States. There's two, there's an old mine site here and then there's a little road here and there's another one right here. And if I zoom into this one here, you can see there's a, there's an open pit resource at the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. but from this on, if you're a geologist, you're probably thinking like what's red or you might know red is oxide, green is transitional, blue is sulfide. If you're an engineer, you might be looking at like, I wonder what the strip ratio is of this. But what this company uses this for is there's actually a community that sits just behind this mountain. Mm-hmm. And this is data from a, from a company. When, when they go through, what they do is, is they show that here is your community. And if this thing is finally permitted and goes into production, you're not actually going to see 
it because yeah. it sits sitting on the other side. So when we talk about bringing people, and it sounds like you did this early with kind of just Google Street View or, or videos or so on, by parking ourselves right here, this conversation can go in a lot of different directions, whether it's geology or engineering or anything else. And I think that to me is one of the most exciting things because now you're able to sit there with a community and have a fulsome discussion around what this will look like and, and sort of whether it's kind of noise or kind of what are they going to see or traffic or, or whatever it is. And you just, you're not really set up to have those conversations if all you see is like a Gantt chart that says like, here's a permitting timeline for our project. Does anybody have any questions for us? Right. Well, and it, it literally is allowing you to, to show different perspectives right? yeah. from a data and a, a kind of atmospheric perspective. Yeah. It, it completely. And, and say like in this specific example, this community, it's, it's small. I think it's four or 500 people. Someone might say, you know what? My ranch is sitting over here, like mm -hmm. up here. What does it look like from my point of view? It's like, well, let's just zoom over there and take a look at that. Yeah. And just it, it allows for you to be able to facilitate a very, very different discussion. And I think like anything, it also allows people to feel like they're heard. Yeah, it, it really allows you to have more of a investor or stakeholder led conversation as opposed to an executive led conversation. Right. Here's here's what I want to tell you rather than, you know, using a tool like this. It could be more about what is the person I'm talking to want to hear and see and how can I provide that information to them? Yeah, and it, it, totally. And that's what, regardless of what tool you're using, whether it's a flashy 3D thing or just a PowerPoint, I think, and I'm definitely guilty of this, we all sort of walk in, especially if you're even a little bit nervous, if you're like me, you tend to overtalk. You walk into the presentation, you just start puking facts and information and everything else. And you don't actually stop and say, what do you actually want to hear or, or get out of this discussion? And a lot of investors specifically are looking for different things. They have different... And, and like Prospector Portal is a good example that somebody can go in and, and sort of curate it to, to find what they need to find. But their right. engagement with an executive team and an investor discussion should be the same. Mm -hmm. As an executive team, you're used to just pitching your story and locking that in. And yeah, yeah I, I spent five years flying around the world with PowerPoint. And it's like you fly to London, walk into a meeting, and then 45 minutes in, you r remind yourself, geez, I should stop and actually see if they're even listening. <laughs> or what they well, yeah. Hilarious. Sometimes you'd be like, yeah, yeah, we we know. We actually we're fully up to, to speed. We just have these three questions. But right. thanks for taking five minutes of our time to get to these three. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's also the difference that we talk a lot about between transparency and accessibility, right? The information may already all be out there, but how do you make it accessible in a way where someone can can really understand what you're saying and make a decision based off of that, right? I mean, there's there's a big difference between just data dumping and giving somebody something they can actually use, decide from, or provide feedback to. I couldn't agree more, and you'll probably agree with me on this one. Like, I think that's where 43101, which mm -hmm. is the the standard for it's a set of rules. It's funny because people talk about it like it's a noun or it's like some stamp of approval. But it's, it's literally just a, a, a format that information has to be organized. AF43-101 isn't actually a thing. It's just a type of report. Reporting but if a report is prepared to a 43-101 standard, there's this misconception that now it's sort of validated or it has credibility attached to it. But it's like that's the same sort of logic as saying it's prepared in this font. So it's obviously a good asset. Mm -hmm. 
43101 has gone down this path now where you get these reports where they're three or 400 pages long. Yeah. And it's in the, the spirit of transparency, but it actually has the opposite effect because you can bury anything you want in it because nobody actually goes, nobody has the time <laughs> in this, and, it's, and your product's perfect for this because it actually takes it apart. But what ultimately right. happened is 43101, which was brought in on the back of Briex, which was this massive scam in, in, in the sector, it said, it, well, if they had followed these set of rules to disclose their information, this probably wouldn't have happened, has now gone the other way. And now it's like this, hey, as long as I put a 400 page report out on my project, I can hide all this information in, then I'm fully disclosed and I can kind of say whatever I want because it's already out there and it's got this, this kind of almost perceived credibility stamp to it. Yeah. But to, to your point, like transparency is one thing. And I think transparency is almost like oversimplified in that, like if we're transparent, then the, the sector is better. But if everybody is super transparent, these massive data dumps, it doesn't help anybody. You're not making the sector more investable. You're making it less investable. Yeah, it's because especially in an industry like ours that has a lot of technical information that you have to understand. Right. That's where I think tools that allow somebody to walk through a project and navigate at the level of which they are interested and can consume the data, right? Whether it's Verify or Prospector, like allow people to navigate at the rate that they are able to consume, right? And are interested, right? And don't just bury them in it because it's, I think that's where we see technology like this, approaches like this, helping good capital get to good projects, yeah. right? I mean, that whole idea is not just to have technology for technology's sake, have these cool things that you can do, but like to help make sure that investors that want to invest in, in strong management teams and good assets, like find them, right? And understand why those are the good ones. And that's where I think, again, allowing people to move at their own pace and have it in their own hands, it, it builds a lot of trust in what the company is talking about with regard to the project. I, I, I completely agree. And it's, um, I don't know if you've come across this, we, we would often get asked, like, how do you determine if a company is good enough or like is legit enough to be on your platform? Or like, mm. you worry that you kind of bring in a company that's got a poor reputation. And we struggled with it a bit in the, in the early days of, as we built Verify. Now, we're about 130 companies and in, in growing by the week right now. And we realized that our role isn't to be judge and jury. It's to sort of set things right. up. Like we don't want to take on that position, but if we set up things and normalized, like a, a good open market will self-regulate itself. Mm -hmm. and there are so many examples, like Airbnb is probably the, one of the best where you have mm -hmm. vacation rentals, websites, and there's this convoluted market where it's sort of Emily's rental by the sea.com could go there and, and sort of, you could put a bunch of reviews on there and say whatever you want. There's no accountability to it. Um, then it right. comes along and everybody adheres to some sort of standard. And it just, it completely inhibits or it, it kills the ability for someone to hide. And it's because mm -hmm. not only are people all using the same place in the standardized format, when you do that, you can normalize data sets. But the most powerful thing that they do is it's really simple. They just add a rating system and you simply mm -hmm. do not go and stay at a one-star rental. And right. whether that, I, I think when you create these marketplaces or whatever you want to call it, these open platforms, and I think that the mining sector is sort of moving in this direction, the winners are the, whether it's management team or asset quality or other things that you want to invest in, they'll naturally just float to the top and those will attract mm -hmm. investment. It's not that somebody has to walk in and say, this is a good asset, that one's bad. 
that guy's a crook, that, that kind of CEO is awesome. They'll just naturally regulate itself because we've got 3,000 companies. And if we get a massive amount of investors and, and whoever stakeholders coming in and sort of whether that rating is public or what that system actually looks like, yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for the sector because I think we're finally at the point where we can take these mass amounts of data and everything else and put it into a format where an investor says, like, I want lithium project with a good management team. And mm-hmm. here are your options. And you might want to stay away from these ones. Yeah, and I think that's where, for us, we say, because we cover all of them, right? We we have all the companies on our platform, whether they like it or not, because we pull in public disclosure data from the exchanges. And I think what's interesting about that is when you talk to investors or M&A teams that use the platform, what they often say is that they find projects or companies on the platform by putting in their investment portfolio criteria, right? Here are the types of projects I'm looking for at this stage with these types of risks, perhaps associated with it. And oftentimes what they're amazed at is that they find projects or teams that they weren't tracking, Yeah. right? So it's also like making sure you're not missing out on an opportunity that actually is a is a strong fit for what you're looking for because you don't have that management team or that project in your kind of personal network. Because I think that's also something that's held the industry back a little bit is we are a bit of a small, small world, right? Everybody thinks they know everybody else, right? But that perception can kind of hold back financing sometimes for strong projects if they're not part of that network. And I think that's where that normalization of data that you referenced, allowing investors or M&A teams to compare apples to apples, even if they, you know, they don't know what tree that apple came from, or I don't know where that analogy goes, but like, you know, allowing them to see everything that does appear to be a competitor, right? So you don't miss out on opportunities that you should be paying attention to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it is that sort of like, this person knows this person knows this person, they're good yeah. But it's that is it's just not the world we live in today, and it's yeah. when you look at sort of the flow of information, but also the fact that that we all went sort of to the extreme end of the virtual spectrum for a few years. But even now, this discussion being one of them, there's a lot more virtual discussions that take place, and it really in in a lot of ways that sort of personal network it's a little harder to maintain. And it's and and I think sure. within that, it's so much more important that we have the ability to discover new opportunities. Because if we just rely on sort of the old gang that we know that we can invest in, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, to your point, you're just missing out on a ton of opportunity. And it's actually, I've, I've seen a couple like really exciting kind of management teams come into the sector with other experience. Maybe they brought in through kind yeah. of the minerals components, whatever. And it's, and I think historically we've said, if we don't know them as sort of industry right. insiders, there's probably a reason for that. But, but now I think there's, yeah, there's, there's an opportunity with a lot of these kind of teams and projects and, and other things. Like right now, we're in this space where with, with the battery metals or renewable transition or credit, whatever we want to call it, like the, the opportunity for the sector has never been better. And I've only been in it for, say, 15 years or so, but I, I don't think it's ever been stronger because that, that sort of tailwind that we're seeing now or that momentum, that's not going anywhere. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long story short, it's just, it's kind of, it's a really exciting time. No. And I think that's where the interest in like battery metals and uh, critical minerals and all these things, what I think is really cool about it is it's pulling 
that non-traditional capital into the space because you have investors and groups now that care about minerals and metals that, frankly, the industry didn't see as a priority yeah. um, maybe up until five or six years ago. So you've got new money coming in that values different things, like physical things, like different commodities, but also different types of experience in management teams, right? If you're a EV auto manufacturer and you look at a company that's building a nickel mine or you know, or a lithium project, and they've got somebody from the auto sector on their board, like before, you know, a mining company would be like, why would you put an auto manufacturing person on your board? And now that new money coming in is like, yes, I want somebody who understands our business and how it ties in with what you're doing at the mine. Right. So I think you were starting to see values that kind of are broadening out a little bit in terms of experience and management because of that, because of the shift in terms of what commodities people are starting to care about. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that cross-pollination of sector experience is, is super beneficial because yeah. those of us in the mining sector, we have a lot of experience with certain things. Those in, in say, manufacturing or, or other have a lot of experience in, in other parts. And what you're going to see, especially in sort of the ESG environment that we're, mm-hmm. it's not a mining thing. ESG is, is you're seeing that right across the board. And whether or not, I think people probably oversimplify ESG as if it's just like tick this box and, and you have right. ESG. But I think when you bring in executives with different experience from other sectors and so on, you're able to come up with an actual plan. And I think one of the more exciting things is we're finally drawing that connection between sort of that mine and that car. Because it used to be like right. a picture of a Tesla and a PowerPoint and pointing to all the copper. But now that you're actually seeing from a manufacturing standpoint, I'll use cars as an example, that connection is being made. And then you also have this supply chain backdrop that's feeding into all of this as well. It's not just the fact that the people are transitioning to electric vehicles and we need more batteries and, and other things. Everyone wants to be, have a secure source and ideally right. a domestic secure source as well. And all of that put together, I think is just sort of mining is no longer like this sort of what's, I don't know what the word is, the um, forgotten cousin or whatever nope. it's actually gets yeah. to be part of it uh part of it all um which is yeah, yeah it's it, i don't know it's in general it's just a, it's an exciting time to, to to see well i think that that makes me think about a conversation you and i had earlier about also when you're in the mining space but a tech company <laughs> and you're out there raising money doing new stuff right trying to do innovative things and i think it's also a different perspective perhaps that we bring because we're it's almost being in that same space, right? Where you're trying to to push things out a little bit in terms of where people are comfortable, what they're thinking about. And I wonder if you see any crossover with that, you know, your experience raising capital related to mining technology or communications technology and and how people are investing in the industry itself. Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. I, I was really fortunate when I ran a mining company because we had such an incredible project and team that even we couldn't, like, even I couldn't screw it up. It, <laughs> so, so it was like we, every time we drilled, it would just, our project got bigger and better and higher grade and so on. So I come with like a very biased view of, of kind of running a mining company. And it's, I think we did a good job in not drinking too much of our own Kool-Aid in understanding that like we were really just blessed with an incredible project and our technical team and our corporate team, I think did a really good job of just kind of running and, and carrying that forward but from a capital raising standpoint it was always i don't want to say easy because we went through some tough times as well but as the project got momentum and the project always performed 
there was always money there, especially in the later days. Mm-hmm. And when that project was acquired, our team is super proud to say like it completely outperformed everything that we even we thought as sort of the people promoting it and, and talking about it is completely outperformed. And now I think there's four or 500 employees that are there actively mining, generating four or five hundred million dollars a year in revenue. Tech, on the other side, is, is what I found is you, you it's fascinating because you're sort of especially with what we do, you're, you're trying to f- not force change, but incentivize change. So mm-hmm. like you, you kind of build your product and your team, but then there's this added component of like at, at, on a, at mineral expiration and the success we had, it sort of takes care of itself. Like if you explore and you hit some drill results and those are good drill results, the market kind of gets behind you and carries it. Where it's like at, on the tech side, it's like, we have this great idea, we build it. And then we kind of sit there and like, all right, where is everyone? There's this next, oh, wow, we not only have to kind of push it out there between like a sales and marketing and all of that, then you actually have to convince that like your vision and and what people are doing today, that part is really, is is really hard. (laughs) It's uh, so, and and then on the capital markets and raising money on the tech side, there's this other element of everything is reliant on your track. It's not just how cool is your stuff. It's what is your traction and your revenue growth and all these other elements, which again, goes all back to your ability to kind of get adoption so it's yeah it's i i found that i i think i probably like i would often say i raised 150 million dollars at integra gold and so on but like 150 million dollars for that and five million dollars for a small tech company it's the, the small tech company's way <laughs> yeah so i've always been told it's it's just as hard to raise one million as it is to raise a hundred million and in fact it's probably <laughs> it's harder to raise a million than it is to raise a hundred because like and the other element too is like when you raise large amounts of money you have like investment banks and you have so much infrastructure and in in an entire ecosystem that's highly incentivized to help you along the way yeah so if you raise a hundred million dollars as a public company and there's a five six percent fee like there's a group of people that are going to get paid five or six million dollars to, to help, to help that financing and they're on your side and on the the private tech side it's just it's very different it's and it's yeah. been a massive like very humbling experience for me to go through because it's much more sort of network personal connection driven this person mm-hmm. you and they'll introduce you to this fund versus like hey can where's the investment bank that i can just pay a fee to and i can get back to work and they could and then the money just shows up in the yeah, account exactly yeah. <laughs> and it's not over. Like it was, it was hard. Like we had our hard times raising capital, but we definitely had momentum as well. Mm-hmm. It's good. I like like anything. And I'm, you've probably gone through the same thing. Like anything, building a company from scratch that's idea driven versus hard sure. asset driven is. Yeah, there's a reason sure. I have kind of nothing but white hair at 38 years old. <laughs> and you're drinking water, Kiefer, to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's a reason we drink so much Red Bull. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it is. It's it's a totally different space and it's a totally different group of investors, typically, who are interested in it. And I think that's where also like your network of, of folks that invest in mining doesn't always translate into your network of folks that want to invest in a tech platform. And, you know, you hear a lot in the sector, every conference I go to, every panel I moderate, everybody is talking about like, how do we encourage new people to come and work in the mining industry? How do we encourage innovation and like, you know, leapfrog technology? And it's like, well, first of all, the industry has to kind of get ready to invest in technology in the same way that you invest in assets. 
kind of pretty simple, really, but I think harder for companies to kind of get their minds around. Like, um, and then also like you have to take a chance on new companies. This yeah. is not just like promoting, like everyone goes sign up for prospector. Right. But like, you know, as a, if you're part of the industry and you want to encourage innovative new companies, like you have to be willing to, to hire them to do stuff, right. And see how it works and help them grow and support them the same way you might invest in a junior and help them kind of grow that project and help them build out that asset and provide feedback and direction. Right. I think that's a big reason why technology innovation has kind of lagged in the mining sector as compared to some of our peers. Yep. I agree with all that. And I think the one trend that I don't think is, or element, I would say that I don't think is capitalized on enough is like 90% of these companies in the mining sector are public. Like they go public so early. They sort of, you go and stake your backyard and then you you do an IPO or an RTO or or something. Mm -hmm. But what it means is that, that sort of like in the private world, everything's reliant on your next raise. So you're, Mm -hmm. you're, investor relations and your strategy and your fundraising is all based on in six months or 12 months or whenever it is, I'll do my next raise and setting ourselves up. Whereas in the public space, like as someone running one of those companies, it's your next trade, which is every yeah. couple of minutes, someone trades stock. Like it's so, and everything comes down to when you're thinking about your next raise, you're thinking about in the context of your existing share price and how do I get my share price up? And I'm a big believer that technology, as soon as companies adopt technologies and there's some sort of association with forward thinking companies that use technology equates Mm -hmm. to a higher multiple valuation, whatever it is, because investors see that trend, you're going to see adoption across the sector of every single technological element. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of companies like Goldspot and, and others that do artificial intelligence. Like as, as an example, like there's, there's other companies that do it. I think you'll start to see more and more adoption of technologies like that. The second somebody drills one of those targets and makes a massive discovery and they can connect those two dots, all of a sudden you're going to see every single company say, we should do that too. Just the fact that we're using this technology gets our investors excited because we can point to kind of success with that technology in the past. And as soon as a company, the public companies are able to associate kind of higher multiples valuations with using technology, I think the floodgates will just open and every single thing that they can use, whether they're fully incentive, like I guess what their incentive behind it doesn't even really matter in, in some ways because you're going to yeah. see they're like, hey, we all need to be showing up as the most technologically advanced company out there. Like one of, one of the yeah. tools we have at Verify, which is really simplistic in nature, is all of our clients use iPads and they connect them together in meetings. And there's something mm-hmm. really even if you're just using your PowerPoint on the iPad, you don't even use 3D models and other things. As a mining company, there's something really powerful about walking into a meeting, using something that's made of minerals, putting it on the table, and just kind of creating that experience. Because what it does, it's not even about the content of your PowerPoint. It's that you're setting the tone that, like, I'm a forward-thinking company. And the investor gets to think, or the stakeholder, whoever that is, thinks, like, well, they're obviously forward-thinking. I wonder what else they're Mm -hmm. forward-thinking in. So I think that the public element, like the fact that all these mining companies are public, as soon as there's an association with technology and and public valuations and multiples, you're just going to see the floodgates open and every single company just trying to show up to be as technologically, appear as technologically forward thinking as as possible. Yeah, in a way, it reminds me of, uh, you know, 
back in the day when I was at IBM, we would always use the analogy that, you know, you remember back when each bank had their own ATM network, right? And you had to go to one of your bank's ATMs to take money out. And so you'd go to a store and you'd have like four or five ATMs right next to each other because each bank built their own solution, right? And I think that's kind of where we are right now with a lot of the bigger mining companies, at least. Everyone's building their own super cool technology solution that they think is going to be the winner. But really what ended up happening is financial institutions started to collaborate on infrastructure and compete on cost and service, right? So they collaborated on these things called an EFT network switch that allowed one bank to send, you know, put money out of an ATM that another bank owned, right? And that ended up working out better for everybody. And I think at some point the industry is going to get there where technology becomes a tool that allows the mining and exploration companies to compete on who has the best assets and has the best geologists finding the next cool thing. Right. Um, but we're just stuck in this messy middle, I think right now where everyone's just building out their own ATMs. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and one, the, win. one thing I find it fascinating within the sector is there's a perception that everyone's really like protective of their data that they just don't share. And it's always, it's always been an interesting dynamic I found is because you own your asset. And nobody can take take it from And maybe there's a trend that goes on to something else. But if you think it's there, go stake the ground, right? Right. What I found at at Verify, so we we have NDAs with all of our clients and we keep our data siloed. So when we work with a company, it's like the data is not obviously ever making it outside of kind of the build for that company. But Mm -hmm. we've talked in the past just, just with companies about partnering with groups like to help with target generation and, and other things like that, because we have this massive data set and yeah. it's something we do today. And it's not, not something we'd ever do without, without our clients buy-in, but I would say nine out of 10 conversations, ever the companies are, are fully for it. Like they tend to be sensitive towards you showing specific data to one other individual company. They'd rather facilitate that conversation themselves. But I've just found, and this is very anecdotal, but in the conversations I've had, they're actually quite open to, kind of data being used, greater good sounds like, you know what I mean? Like for, to, to yeah. help push. But everybody their- in a mining district, right? Nobody wants to be only mine in an area, right? Being in a district is better for everybody. And the more attention that comes to it, the more investment drives in. And we've all seen like when somebody makes a discovery, every, everyone in that camp gets financed. And that's right. just the way area plays work within the mining sector. But I actually think it's sort of, if we can help facilitate that, sharing of data or, or kind of for, for bigger, for bigger things. I think we can get past this. What I think is a misconception that people are, do not want to share their data with anyone. The bigger companies be a little bit more like that. And they have the teams and the resources that can allow them to go and stake those areas entirely themselves. But like 90% of companies I think are quite open to it. So yeah, which I think we'll see what comes of all that, but I think it's actually could bode well for the sector. Yeah. And I always, I'm surprised sometimes when companies call us up and they ask us to take things down off of their company's page on Prospector. And they're like, that project's not a priority for us right now. We don't want to highlight that we own that. And it's like, well, guess what you do, right? Like this is public disclosure data. And that's where I think also, hopefully the power of our platform in the next few years is a lot of that data is already public. And it's all on one platform right now, right? All of their talk about the geology and the potential of the project and how they're going to build it 
and all the ESG approaches they're going to use as they develop it. Like it's all in those NI43 101s um, and other exposure documents, right? So it's like you might as well kind of get past it and share it proactively in a way that's going to advance what your company wants to do as opposed to trying to keep it quiet because frankly, most of it's already out there anyway. You can find it on Prosper. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and I think the the one trend you'll see as well is is as um, more companies find it's not even a lack of it's not wanting to share, just find better ways to share the data in, in ways that investors and stakeholders can. Mm-hmm. As you see more and more of that in the sector, I think other companies will just follow suit. And it's yeah. almost like you need a good mechanism or medium to to be able to share that. It reminds me that we've been asked to verify that. Can you Photoshop this village out of this drone shot? We don't want it in the presentation. (laughs) It's it's this is not and this is not representative of our client base at all. Like there are once in a while you see a random and and oftentimes it's not even the executive team. It's someone just thinking, sort of not really knowing what it's going to be used for. Yeah, but there are instances. It's like to your point, like. But that villain uh, no. there. <laughs> That's not, <Yeah>. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be doing that. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when you think about this stuff, like, do you have any concrete suggestions for how people in the industry can help move innovation forward? Is there one thing that you wish these companies would do differently that would kind of encourage adoption of innovation and new ways of thinking and storytelling? Well, they should, well, the obvious, I guess, is just they should all use Verify. That would make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and use iPads, right? We got that yeah. as a. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's a really good question. I think um, I think we just all have to listen more. And I think we, and I say we because I'm one of the worst at it, but it's almost like we should do this or you as an investor should care about this or you as a stakeholder um, or a community group or indigenous group, you should pay attention here because this is what I want you to know. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, we can learn a lot just by listening, whether it's to investors or to indigenous groups or community groups. And in doing so, I think if we actually listen, not listen for the sake of listening, but listen with sort of a, a mindset of how can I take what I'm hearing and incorporate it into my company, what we're doing, how we communicate, how we actually make decisions as a business. I think that's, you'll see a lot of change within the, within the sector. And, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we don't. I think we can all just, yeah, it's like, it's like anything. I think there's a lot of sort of real valuable nuggets in there that we might be missing. Gold nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in this, it goes to, you hear a lot of people say that the mining industry needs like a rebrand, right? And like we just as an industry have to, refresh how the world sees us and thinks about us. And I personally think people say that a lot without actually wanting to change any of the things that we actually do that got us that old brand, right? So in order to get a rebrand, you actually have to start doing things a little bit differently. Yeah, completely. And it's and the tricky part is it's like, we say things like that, like the mining industry needs a rebrand, but it's like, is there some like secret society of like the people running the mining industry that are going to make that decision to just, Hey, everyone get in line and rebrand like the, the right. sorry to say that's unless maybe there is this group of people I'm not aware of, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. The way that that industries change is, is they tend to be like the mining sector as a whole is completely reliant on outside capital 
and mm-hmm. um, stakeholder buy-in. It doesn't exist mm-hmm. without those two things. And there will always be demand for the product. There will always be a buyer. There's always like a price to which copper or nickel or gold will be bought. So it's different than that sort of like a, like a retail, whereas if the buyer stops buying, like there will always be a price. But if, if the mining sector doesn't have investor capital coming in to fund its projects and exploration and build things and so on, and doesn't have stakeholder buy-in to kind of support the projects being built, it doesn't exist. So I think that sort of ultimately any kind of rebrand or anything that's going to take place across the sector is by kind of just listening to those groups. What do they need to continue to support our sector? And I think that that rebrand will just naturally take place. So I agree. We actually need a rebrand. I just don't think it's easy as like, hey, everyone stop what they're doing and rebrand. Right. I don't think there's a, a mechanism that exists right now that would be able to, to facilitate that just taking place. Well, and I think it's also the competing, like that share price point that you made, right? Where every company right now is trying to improve their brand individually and not necessarily the industry as a whole. And there's, you've got a little bit of competing interests there where you're talking about how your company is way better than everybody else for X, Y, and Z reasons. Well, you know, sometimes that marketing actually reflects poorly on the rest of the industry because you're pointing out how all your competitors suck, right? (laughs) You know, (laughs) so it can, it's really hard to do. Like, how do you promote your company as the best of the best while also changing the conversation around why your people are actually better than everybody thinks they are? And it's, I, I found that's always, it's almost like an insecure way of marketing your company. Sorry if I'm offending anyone. Um, because that's it's- why a, we get to later in the podcast, okay. you know, usually drinking alcohol. So people expect it by now. Water keepers, really, yeah. water keepers going yeah. through my head. Um, <laughs> but it's almost like there isn't a finite amount of capital that's going to be invested in the mining sector. Like mining is this big in, in sort of, if you think of like global capital markets and how much money is out there. And- if you and I both have mining companies, it's not like I have to bash you to get that last dollar that's going in. Right. If if mining as a whole can generate, like if every generalist fund manager went from zero to 0.2% allocation to mining, you've just seen sort of like the entire problem. And say it went into the junior side, the lower 1,000 of the of the companies out there, their share price has probably tripled in, in, that, yeah. in that scenario. Whereas like the benefit of, collectively being able to show or help events like that happen versus me saying, hey, kind of person with $20,000, you should really invest in Steve's company, not Emily's because she does all this stupid stuff and I don't do this stupid stuff. It makes, it's completely illogical in in sort of the, in the big picture, which is, yeah, I, I think that sort of competitive nature to capital markets and investor communication and so on. It doesn't, it's not really logical when you think about, look, if we're able to show my company is something that anybody, not just a typical mining investor can invest in for these mm-hmm. reasons. And if a bunch of companies actually band together and do that, that's where that, that rebrand will take place. And if we are able to, if you get new capital come into the sector versus just fighting over the same piece of capital that's already here, that's where you're going to yeah. see real change across the sector. and everyone will be happy because if, if that unfolds, everyone's share price is going to be kind of 500% higher than what it is today. No, that's where we, when we started Prospector, one of our objectives was to build a tool that helped turn a Tesla investor into a lithium investor or turn a, a Twitter investor 
into a cobalt investor, right? Like people invest in technology companies at such a huge, much larger rate than they do mining. Technology is reliant (laughs) on the stuff that we produce in the industry. And yet, but why don't people invest in it? Because they'll tell you, they're like, well, I don't know anything about geology. I don't understand mining. And it's like, well, do you actually understand how an iPhone works or like how a Tesla car operates? No. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to know all the nitty gritty details. But again, I think that's where it comes back to how we communicate and how we storytell, because so much of what we talk about are the details that only a geologist or a mining engineer or someone who's kind of come up in the industry can even understand what the opportunity is. Right. Right. And we've got to certainly be really accurate and fully disclose technical parts of what the companies and the projects are about. But we also have to make people feel comfortable that they can invest in mining, even if they've never invested in mining before and they can yeah. understand what we're doing. And I always tell people, I'm like, like any other company out there, you, if you pick up the phone and you talk to someone in IR or the CEO of the junior and you don't understand what they're doing and why, then sure, you shouldn't invest in them. That's a yeah. rule for any company, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like. But but we can get there, I think, because at least in mining, it usually is the junior CEO that actually picks up the phone when an investor is calling, right? Like that's that's pretty unique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, uh, I didn't know you guys did that. Like from thinking of like, how does a Tesla investor invest in in lithium? Or but that's exactly it. Like there's a massive pool of in, of investors out there. Um, yeah. And I think with those investors comes probably positive change. Like if they invest right. in, like, again, everyone oversimplifies and say, what's ESG? Do you care about ESG? And it's like, hey, I've got a picture of some smiling people and, and like on a green theme slide as number three in my corporate deck. Obviously, I care about it. I think when you see that new and in, in those investors come in and there's new ways and there's lots of really good like ESG platforms out there that I think are finding innovative ways like um, Digby is one and, and others like that are finding ways to incentivize groups to take their ESG component strategy, seriously, when you see that new capital come in, it's going to drive change too, because it's not just maybe they're 80% focused on share price returns and 20% focused on things that we as a sector aren't as focused on right now or investor bases. And so ultimately, again, going back to like the idea of rebranding, I think it's going to be a capital driven exercise personally. And I think sort of if, if sort of companies that show up a certain way, and, and not just brand themselves a certain way, actually show up and operate a certain way, are able to attract more capital. Everyone else will look at that and say, I like capital. I like higher share prices. I like money to finance expiration and, and other things. So in that scenario, you're highly incentivized to, to do the same. Yeah. Well, I think we can cheers to that. So yeah, on that note, um, enjoy the rest of your keeper water. And yeah, look forward to, to staying in touch and hearing more about what you all are doing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.